Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Good morning, everyone. Great to see so many out this morning. It really is. Uh, John chapter 5, if you have a Bible or an iPhone or a smartphone, uh, John chapter 5 is where we're going to be um, spending our time this morning. Um, I heard someone once say this, that a vacation is having nothing to do and all day to do it in. A vacation is having nothing to do and all day to do it in. And I think that while that might be true for uh, most of the developed world, I don't think it can be said it's true of Americans. Um, I found some interesting statistics uh, this week. Two-thirds of Americans admit to working while they're on vacation. And another one, uh, more than 50% of Americans don't use their full full quota of vacation days. More than 50%. And and just to put that in context, we're already starting behind everyone else. Americans, on average, only receive 14 vacation days a year. Whereas in England, where I was born, you get 26 vacation days. And in France, 37 vacation days. But yet, Americans, uh, more than 50%, don't use their full quota of vacation days. There was another interesting statistic that said that the U.S. has recently surpassed Japan as the most overworked nation. Now, that might not sound surprising to you, but let me just say this. This is Japan we're talking about. Japan is the nation that uh, literally has a term for death by overwork. Literally, there's a phrase, a Japanese phrase, that captures that phenomena, death by overwork. There's a government support line and, uh, and money that is made available to widows of people who die from overwork. We've just surpassed that nation as the most overworked nation in the world. These are all things that uh, contribute to an external tiredness. Uh, Without kind of getting too deep right now, I think with a little bit of discipline and putting some uh, important time away from work and making sure that we put good boundaries in place with regards to our work hours, generally those kinds of things can get overcome. But there's a tiredness that I think most of us identify with, not an external tiredness, but a tiredness that comes from some of the struggles that we face when we deal with issues in our heart, some of the wrestles that we have in our heart, some of the, the struggles that we face when we, when we have unanswered questions, or we're facing certain insecurities and fears. And those kinds of struggles don't know the boundaries of work hours or whether we're taking vacation or not. Those kinds of struggles uh, uh, torment us even to a point where, where, where we feel this, this internal tiredness. That's the kind of tiredness that, uh, this, this, that's the kind of tiredness that I feel God wants to address through what I want to share this morning. Most of you guys know the struggle that I have uh, through my life and, and, and even now sometimes with stuttering and the, 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 the angst that at times I have to go through uh, picking myself up to, to face my fears once again. I remember so clearly about four or five years ago, we were doing a wedding in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Mike and Colette Nelson. And uh, I so remember this day. Uh, the wedding was an evening wedding, and I woke up just fearful and afraid that this was going to be the day where I wasn't going to be able to say anything in front, of, in front of people. And I remember sitting in a shopping mall in Grand Rapids, Michigan, waiting for my suit to be tailored, sitting on one of those benches in the shopping mall next to Debbie, tears streaming down my face, saying, I'm so tired of facing these fears. I'm so tired of, of, of finding the courage or having to find the courage to overcome. I'm sure you can identify, not maybe with that specific example, but 
some of the struggles that you guys might be facing or fears or, or uncertainty that you guys might, be, might, might have to face. The problem is, in that moment, I was asking myself, what do I have to do to overcome? And I think that's often how we respond to the fears that we have. We ask ourselves, what is, what is my responsibility? What is my duty? What do I have to do? What do I have to stop doing? What do I have to start doing in order to find courage and confidence? And I think all we're doing is we're looking for answers in the wrong places. Acts chapter 3 tells us that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Psalm chapter 3 says, I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And so what I want to share today is, is this conviction that I have that there is a deep rest or a deep sleep, if I can use that phrase, that, the, that is available to us all, a rest for our souls that is found in Jesus Christ. And John chapter 5 is this passage that we're going to look at, which I believe helps us to answer some of those questions. We are, um, for those who are, are new today, we are working our way for the next 14 weeks through the book of John. Uh, the big kind of question we're, we're answering is, is, who is God? Uh, that's kind of the, the, the question that we felt we wanted to answer as we started this year. And the way we're going about that is studying particularly this book because Jesus makes it very clear that if we get to know him, if we, if we, if we get to understand who, we, who he is, he shows us the Father. He shows us who God is. So by knowing Jesus, we can get to know God. And the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 3, two weeks ago. We studied the life of Nicodemus and that incredible verse, John three sixteen, And we learned there that the God that we serve is the God who saves. Last week, we spent time in John chapter 4 looking at the Samaritan woman. And there we learned that God is the one who gives us living water. Well, today, out of John chapter 5, we're going to learn that God is the one, the only one who gives us true rest. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. So if you have a Bible and you, 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 you're in John chapter 5, read with me if you can, the first 18 verses. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, I love how simple it is with Jesus. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, which is just simply a day of rest from work. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Okay, just think about this. Paralyzed for 38 years and he's being scolded by the religious leaders because he's walking around carrying a very light and small mat that he'd been sitting on. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowds that were there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning 
or something, or, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. I said a couple weeks ago when we started this series, there are so many directions we can take the book of John in. And let me just say, in John chapter 5, there are so many directions that we could uh, launch from and and actually teach on. We could focus on on this lame man's healing, the fact that uh, uh, faith plays a critical role in healing. But, But remarkably, what we see here is that this man didn't even have faith in who Jesus was because he didn't know who Jesus was. Faith came simply because he took Jesus at his word. We could spend some time talking about, in this case, the relationship between sickness and sin. Very clearly, Jesus tells the man, stop sinning, because otherwise you're going to go back into a relapse of the sickness that you were struggling with. We could speak about the sovereignty of God. I love this passage, how, how Jesus arrives at the scene and, and, and around the pool are this, uh, this vast number of disabled people. But it is to this specific man that Jesus steps into his life and he says to him, do you want to get well? And we didn't read verse 19, but verse 19 says this, and this shows us Jesus' total submission and surrender to the Father. Verse 19 says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. What an incredible example for us to live by. That we would only ever do that which we see the Father doing or say what we hear the Father telling us to say. But the verse that I want to focus on this morning for the next few moments is verse 17. Verse 17 says this, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I am working too. And this is is my main idea. This is my main thought, that, that we can rest because Jesus is at work. We can rest from striving We can rest from trying to find meaning and fulfillment in in meaningless things because Jesus is always at work. One of my absolute favorite verses is Isaiah chapter 64 verse, verse 4, which I think wonderfully captures what I'm sharing on today. Listen to this. No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And if I can just substitute the word, instead of the word acts, if I can just put work, and instead of the word wait, I can put the word rest, I think it still makes, I'm still, we're still honoring the text that there is no God besides the God that we serve who works on behalf of those who rest in him. That's the wonderful promise that we're going to discover and learn together today. So why why the big fuss over Jesus healing on the Sabbath? I mean, The Sabbath was a day set aside for rest, which seems like a very good idea. So so why the big fuss? Why the the desire of the Jews, this, this, this kind of hatred in the Jews stirred up within them to actually kill Jesus simply because he healed a man on the Sabbath? Well, as they say, the devil is in the details. And the, the Pharisees were absolute sticklers for detail. They wanted to ensure that there was exact and constant compliance to the letter of the law. And to ensure that, what the Pharisees did was they instituted 
endless rules and additional petty regulations to make sure that people adhered to the particular law. Jesus actually challenges the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 because what they were doing was they were focusing more on their tradition than they were on the Word of God. And Jesus says to the Pharisees in Mark 7, he says, you, you nullify, you, you, you cancel out, you cloud the, the Word of God, the heart of God's Word, the power of God's Word, when you rather focus on your traditions rather than on what God's Word says. Just think about that for a moment. The Word of God, which has the power to create, the Word of God, which has the power to liberate and set free and heal and bring joy and bring release and bring life and bring liberty, that Word, the power of that Word, can completely be nullified when we choose rather to put our faith in meaningless traditions rather than taking God at His Word, like this man actually did. He took God at His Word. And so the Sabbath law was that it was rest from work. But, but what constituted work? And this is where the Pharisees happily jumped in because they wanted to, to define what work was. And so I did some research this, this, this week and I found out that the Pharisees defined work as carrying a weight or what they termed it as carrying a burden. But of course, they had to measure or give some definition to what that weight was. And I found this incredible this incredibly long list of things that, that constituted a weight too heavy to carry. I'll read a few of them. A burden or the weight that you cannot carry on the Sabbath is food equal to the weight of a dried fig, enough wine for drinking from a goblet, milk enough for one to swallow, honey enough to put upon a wound. And so this list continued. Do you see how petty and, and meaningless a lot of these rules and regulations were. But there was a loophole, because there's always a loophole. Whenever there's rules and regulations, there's always a loophole. And that loophole, the loophole was that if somehow you could justify wearing the thing that you wanted to carry as a garment, instead of carrying it, that was allowed. Quite literally, if this man had draped the mat over his shoulders and worn it as a shawl, he would have been fine. Isn't that ridiculous? This man, this, this man who had been healed from 38 years of a life of paralysis was literally facing the death penalty because he had picked up his mat on the Sabbath day. That law is as silly as a law that I discovered just this week in Collinsville, Illinois. 2011, this is true, it happened in 2011, the city council, the city council of Collinsville, Illinois voted to ban sagging pants. Sagging pants is defined as, as, as the, the, the top of your pants dropping three inches below your hips. If that happened, you were fined $100 for the first-time offense, $300 for a multiple offense. That's how ridiculous this law was, that a man was facing the death penalty because he was carrying his mat. But friends, you know, it wasn't the man that they were after. They were trying to get Jesus. These Pharisees were trying to get Jesus on a technicality. And the technicality was this, that not only were you not allowed to carry things, but you were not allowed to do medical work on the Sabbath. You were not allowed to heal people. You were not allowed to help people in a time of need because it was the Sabbath and no work was allowed. You think that these things are petty and foolish, but let me tell you, we are exactly the same. We are always looking for loopholes and shortcuts and ways that we can circumvent the rules 
And so that's why there has to be endless and sometimes meaningless rules and regulations in place. Just last week, I told my son, uh, actually a few weeks ago, I was saying to my son, Caden, it's time to clean your room. There are Legos all over your room. So what, is, but, so what he does is he goes into his room. It's time to clean your room was my statement. And then I added on, there are Legos everywhere. So what does he do? He cleans his Legos, but he leaves his bed completely unmade and markers lying absolutely everywhere. So we walk into the room and we say, Cade, buddy, what's going on? Why aren't you cleaning your room? I did what you asked me. You told me to pick up the Legos. We hadn't been specific enough. And you know what? You guys laugh. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. We are in the midst of tax season. We are in the midst of tax season. And every one of us is going to be tempted in some way to circumvent or find a loophole. That's why I found out this week that the tax code in America is 73,594 pages. 73,594 uh, pages because we are always looking for loopholes. And James has already alluded to deflate gates. But the NFL has a rule, the certain pressure that a football needs to be. Why? Because there are teams like the New England Patriots who are doing the absolute best to circum circumvent the rules. We all do it. We all struggle with this. But here's the thing that I want to kind of get a little bit serious around is as much as we hate rules and regulations, I think within each one of us is this, is this sense of, if I could only comply, I think it would offer me a sense of hope or a sense of rest or the promise of rest. If I could just, if you could tell me exactly what I need to do by when, then I'm going to do my best to do that because if I can somehow measure my performance then I think, I hope, it's going to bring rest into my heart. Without dishonoring my girls, they've just written finals. And, uh, and, and, and we've all done this again before. But they had worked out to the exact percentage what grade they needed to get on their finals in order to ensure that they were going to maintain the grade that they were going to get. Tell me the least amount of work that I need to do for the maximum amount, uh, maximum amount of effort. And then I know that it's going to give me some sense of rest and some, some sense of peace. But friends, here's the, here's the struggle. Here's the issue. I think those of us, and I think it, it's all of us, those of us who are, who are struggling to find rest in our hearts, those of us who are, who are facing our fears and facing our insecurities, sometimes if we're not careful, we can start to approach God and His Word in the same way. If I can just do enough to keep God happy, if I can somehow hope to maybe comply to what this word says, then maybe there might be the hope one day of walking into a place of rest. And I think most of us realize that it's going to take us an entire lifetime to get there, but that hope of rest is so pulling us that we give ourselves to approaching God's word in this kind of religious and legalistic fashion. But the problem is, is that, is that promise of hope is like that proverbial carrot that, that's just out of reach. We take, we take three steps forward, but, but then we stumble and take three or four steps back. And, and, and we end up, instead of living in the reality of rest, we end up living in the reality of, of disappointment and a sense of failure and a sense of guilt because we're just not matching up. We're just not achieving what God, what we think God wants us to achieve. I want to say, friends, that's not God. That's religion. 
That's religion. My first job out of college, I had got a degree in chemistry, for those that don't know. So my first job out of, out of college was working for this German flavor and fragrance company. And I was, the, I was the manager of the fragrance laboratory. And so what my job was, was I had to learn the chemical um, formula of certain bases, face creams and soaps and what have you, and household products. And then I would have to match certain fragrances that would be stable within that particular base that would match a, a certain company's marketing ploy. So if, uh, if Unilever were launching a new cream or if Colgate were launching a new soap, for example, it was my job to, to match the fragrance that matched the brief and make sure it was stable within the, within the particular product. And this one product I remember working on was for a company you guys are familiar with, S.C. Johnson Wax. And um, so my boss walks in and he gives me this, this kind of... It looked like car, pol- like car polish, but actually it was, it was floor polish that's sold in South Africa. So imagine a hockey puck, but about this big, um, this, this tin opened up, and it was the unfragranced base. And he asked me, he said that what the company wanted to do was to add a vanilla fragrance that had typically been used in face creams to this floor polish. I thought to myself, that's a very strange requirement. Why would they want to put a fragrance that's used for, uh, that's used for face creams into floor polish? And it turns out that, the, that a vast majority of their sales of, of floor polish was actually to black African women who would use this floor polish as a, as a skin whitener for their face. And so they would put this floor polish on their face to try and lighten their skin. But here's the crazy thing. Essie Johnson Wax, instead of, instead of educating the consumers that it was floor polish they were putting on their faces, they decided to put fragrance into the, pl- into the polish because they wanted to get more sales. But it was still floor polish put on their faces. The very thing that, that, that they thought wasn't, wasn't harming them was actually harming them. And my point is this. If we have any sense of religion in our hearts, the very thing that was given to us for a certain purpose and a certain use, to build us up, can actually be the very thing that destroys us. If there's any sense of rel- And we can pretty it up with fragrances and outward behavior and smiles on our faces and coming to church on time, even on, even on a day like this. But if there's religion in our hearts, friends, it will ultimately destroy us. And that's not where or how we find rest. If we start to live this way, we start to become like when Jesus confronted Martha in in Luke chapter 10. He says to her, he says, Martha, you are distracted by all that needs to be done. A religious heart, friends, is distracted by things that we need to do. A religious heart is worried and upset by by many things. Self-righteousness gets in the way of God being able to work in our hearts. And you might think that's a harsh phrase to say, you know, I'm accusing you of self-righteousness. Well, self-righteousness is simply this. It's putting our faith and our trust in our own, in our own behavior, in our own performance. And as soon as we start to do that, as soon as we start to put our faith in how well we adhere to God's word, we start to limit the fact that God can work in our hearts. Jesus even said, I did not come for the righteous, but I came to call sinners. I came to call people who realize that they can't find hope in their own efforts. I came to call them. We've got to get to the place, friends, where we ask ourselves the question, 
Are you accepted, period? Or are you accepted because I've prayed or because I've read the word? And let me tell you, the devil is right there to be the accuser. We don't often need, I mean, we we are sometimes our own worst enemy, but the devil is right there. I mean, have you sometimes like me, you know, working through the Bible and you get across a passage like Leviticus? I've had this happen many times. And I read a passage in Leviticus about mildew regulations and, 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 you know, discharges, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is just really unhelpful and, and so overwhelming. And, and within 15 minutes of reading it, I, I, I kind of climb in the shower, and I've completely forgotten what I've read. And the devil's there saying, what kind of man of God are you where you can't? No, friends, I am not accepted because I understand and read everything in the Bible. I'm accepted because of Jesus Christ. If it's not compliance that we lean towards, and I think that certainly is most of us, then I think the, uh, the opposite extreme in trying to find rest in our hearts is we chase after things. We run, a, we, we run away from God and chase after good things in order for those things to become ultimate things. And I've spoken a lot about that last week, so I'm not going to mention that too much. But, but because we have such a distaste for religion and such a distaste for rules and regulations, without realizing we actually make the exact opposite but equally extreme mistake of running away from God and filling our heart with pursuits, filling our heart with desires, filling our heart with good things that God gives us, but trying to find worth and identity and purpose and meaning in those things. And those good things become ultimate things. And as I said last Sunday, friends, ultimate good things becoming ultimate things will eventually destroy us. Because they are harsh taskmasters. They are completely unforgiving. If your desire is to become well accepted because of what you own, let me tell you, how much is enough? How much is enough? How many hours do you have to put in to be accepted? And, the, and, and that status is a very unforgiving master. We don't want to fill our hearts with that. And, and we, we met last week, we met the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, who was this very woman who had a distaste for religion and was doing everything she could to run away from God and fill her life with relationships when, God, when Jesus confronted her and said to her, go and call your husband, and she said, well, the man I'm living with is not my husband, and Jesus said, you're right, you've been married five times. He wasn't doing that, friends, to expose her. He wasn't doing that to condemn her. Friends, please hear this. God never, never reveals our sin to expose us or to belittle us or to shame us. He reveals and exposes our sin because he wants to remove it because he wants us to deal with it, because he wants us no longer to focus on those good things. He wants us to focus on the ultimate thing, which is his son, Jesus Christ, because he is the only one who can fulfill us. There's a wonderful promise in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, and it says this, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I was saying to Christian just this week, I I learned a lot about the Sabbath this week, but I don't, again, I I don't want this to become a theological discussion on the Sabbath. I want you, hopefully, to hear God's heart about how do we find rest. Hebrews 4 verse 9, there is a Sabbath rest. There is a rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. God rested from creation, but his rest wasn't an idleness wasn't a laziness, wasn't a a kind of a sit back and do absolutely nothing as the Pharisees tried to define Sabbath. God's Sabbath, God's rest from his work was actually a celebration. It was enjoying 
the work that he had done. It was, that's what a Sabbath is. A Sabbath is a reward for the work that you've put in. It's a reward to enjoy the work that you have put in. And that's what God was doing. Yes, God has rested from creating, but God very much is still at work. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus is forever interceding for you and for me. He is constantly working on your behalf. Have you ever asked someone to pray? Has, has someone ever asked you to pray for them and you go away and you say, yes, I will, but you forget to do that? Has that happened? Am I the only one? Has it? You left me vulnerable for a moment, okay? <laughs> Sorry, confessions of a pastor, I apologize. But the good news about Jesus, the, good, the incredible news about Jesus is this. He never forgets. He is always interceding for us. Jesus is, 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 at the work of, is about the work of advancing his kingdom. Revelation chapter 6 tells us that, that Jesus, this all-conquering king, a beautiful picture, riding on a white horse, speaking of his purity, with a crown on his head, speaking of his authority, riding with a bow in his hand, speaking of his victory. And it says this in Revelation 6, he is a conqueror bent on conquest. Jesus is advancing his kingdom. Jesus is extending his reign and rule. Not a military conquest, not a military kind of reign and rule, but a reign and rule of righteousness and peace and joy into the hearts of people, into our lives, and then through our lives into the people around us. God is at work, and God invites us to enter into his rest God's saying to us, friends, stop striving to comply to endless and meaningless rules and regulations. Stop trying to fill your life with things that will never satisfy you. Enter into my rest. Enter into the rest that I provide. Because why? Because I am always at work. The Jews were saying to the man who got healed that his work was breaking the Sabbath and Jesus was saying, no, my work created the Sabbath. You can rest, you can enjoy Sabbath rest, not just on a Sunday, but every day of the week because Jesus is at work even today in our lives. So I end with this, this famous and well-known passage, but how do we enter into rest? I think, and you know this well, but Matthew 11 is perhaps the best. So a couple closing comments, and then I'm handing back to Christian. Come to me, Matthew 11:28 28 says. Jesus is inviting us to, to come to him. Friends, rest is not found in discipline, as important as discipline is. Rest is not found in, in structures and procedures. Rest is found in a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Rest is found when we, when we come to him and we, 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 we receive the acceptance that is found in Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, all of you who are worried and anxious, all of you who perhaps are afraid or, or feeling overwhelmed or feeling hopeless or feeling unsure of the future, all of you who are struggling with sickness and disease, all of you who are, who are trying to work out where the next dollar is going to come from in order to pay the rent, all of us who are in some way wearied or burdened, Jesus is saying to, to us, come, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and, and I will give you rest. You see, friends, 
the immediate rest that we receive is, is the rest that comes with, with receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Most of us here in this room, I presume, have, have already made that decision, and you've, you've stepped into the reality of Jesus accepting us just as we are. The beautiful thing about John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 is it shows two people at two different stages in life. Nicodemus, the, the legalist, and, and the Samaritan woman who was, who was quote-unquote, the sinner, both desperate for Jesus. Jesus didn't bring, didn't bring them to a, a common place and say, all right, you have to start salvation at this common place. No, Jesus went to Nicodemus where he was at and said, salvation starts right there. Your journey in walking with me starts right there. And to the Samaritan woman, your journey starts right there. The point is Jesus takes us just as we are. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The righteousness of Jesus is placed upon us. Just as the sin, our sin, was placed upon him. 2 Corinthians 5, he, we, we, we become the righteousness of God. And God's righteousness is the same yesterday as it is today, and it will be tomorrow. So friends, whether you read your Bible to, or not tomorrow morning, you are no less righteous or no more righteous in the sight of God. Because we don't have to impress God anymore. Jesus has impressed God on our behalf. Be free in that. And I will give you rest. But then, in addition to that immediate rest, Jesus invites us to, to walk with him. Jesus invites us to this, into this relationship with him. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. Take my yoke. Come away with me. Come away with me and, 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 and walk with me and work with me is how, is how uh, it's the message translates these verses. Come away with me and, and walk with me and work with me and watch how, how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This is the relationship Jesus is inviting us into, friends. A relationship of intimacy. A relationship where we get to respond to his leadings. And that word for me, respond is my word, and it's not my word, but it's my word for 2015. I want to be a man who responds to the initiation of the Lord, to, the, to, the, to God kind of saying, come see, this is where we're going, and I respond. We get to walk with him. We get to, we get to learn from him. We get to learn those unforced rhythms of grace. I love Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes this. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's kind of been this kind of spirit-filled, kind of charismatic rally cry, hasn't it? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But you see, what, what, what the context of that, and yes, we can do all things, but the context of this is Paul is talking about a life of at times having lots and at times having very little. At times being in a, in a, in a rested place and at times being in an anxious place. At times being hopeless and at times being full of hope. And Paul is saying, no matter the season, we don't find rest in a, in a set of circumstances. We find rest through him, through him. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Rest is found in a person. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you pray with me? I just want to pray for us and 
just encourage us to respond to this invitation that Jesus gives us in Matthew 11, and then I'll hand over to Christian, and he can maybe pick up on some specific things. But I, I, I know that I know I'm, I'm human, and, and I go through seasons of, of, either, of either trying to find worth and value in my compliance of God's word, and there are times when I turn away from that, and I think I've got victory, but only find myself filling my, my heart with, with the pursuit of, of good things and trying to find worth and value in those good things. So if you're anything like me, I know probably all of you, or at least most of you, at some point have struggled with these things. And I want to say today, friends, today, today there is rest. Today there's rest from striving. Today there's rest from having to comply. Today there's rest from trying to fill your life with meaningless things and trying to find purpose in those meaningless things. Jesus says, come to me, come to me. Would you do that just now, right where you're seated? However you want to do that, maybe eyes closed, maybe hands open, or maybe just quietly saying, Jesus, I come to you. Your, 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 your invitation is apparent. Your invitation is clear. I come to you. I, I, I want to offload these burdens. I want to offload this uncertainty. I want, to, I want to lay down this worry, this fear that is crippling my heart, this exhaustion that I have, not because of external things, but because of wrestles in my heart. Can you do that? Just, just lay down those things right now before Jesus. Just take a moment to, to just be real with him. As you do that, maybe some of you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe some of you, for, for the first time, are, are hearing this invitation, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I want to say, if that's you today, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never felt that sense of, of acceptance and worth that comes with Jesus filling our hearts with his love, I want to say, let today be the day of salvation. Right now, you can receive Jesus into your heart. Just as everyone is praying and kind of just encountering God in your own time, can I ask, if that's you, if you're saying, Steve, I want to know Jesus today as my Lord and Savior, I would love to pray for you right now. Just where you're seated. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I would just love to lead you in a prayer where you say, Jesus, would you come into my heart as my Lord and Savior? If that's you, just lift up your hand. Just so that I know that you're there, and I'd love to lead you in a prayer where you can say, Jesus, would you come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior? Is that anyone? Anyone like to respond to that invitation? Jesus, we, we come with hearts that are just full of junk, hearts that are full at times of, of the wrong things. Forgive us, Lord, where we've looked for rest in the wrong places. Forgive us, Lord, where we've been striving so to impress you. Thank you that you don't need impressing. Thank you, Jesus, that you have impressed the Father for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, that we are clothed in your perfection. Thank you, Jesus, that that righteousness and perfection is, is the same yesterday, it is the same today, and will forever be the same. And Father, thank you that you receive us because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, as best as we know how, and maybe this is something that has to be outworked in the week, but as best as we know how, Lord, we just want to ask that those things that you are revealing in our hearts, the striving and the, and the, and the burdens that we carry, we just want to lay those down. We want to lay those down, Lord. Let, let this year not be a year of, of striving after those things. Let this year not be a year of, of trying to make it happen. 
Let, let us be as a church, Lord, a church of, of responders, a, a church that is, that is kind of enjoying that intimate dance with you, Holy Spirit. And you are the one who is leading us. You are the one who is leading us. Just get this beautiful picture of, 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 a, of a, a, um, a, a waltz and just beautiful music and that, that, that joy that is on, on, the, on, on, the, on, on the face of the people dancing. And Holy Spirit, thank you that that's what you're inviting us to this year. You're inviting us to this, this beautiful banquet hall, not just to feast on the riches of, of the food, but, but to dance, to, to enjoy that, that intimacy with you, Holy Spirit. And we say yes. We say yes to that. We don't want to strive and kind of grit our teeth and, and be like, Ugh. no, Holy Spirit, we just, want to, we just want to open our hearts and our lives to you. And, and, and we trust you. We trust you. Holy Spirit, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. Father, we trust you. We know that you, you have our best, always our best. And so we just, we, we, we give you our lives and our all. Thank you that you are the giver of rest, true rest. We love you. We worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.